Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. This morning's reading is from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And if you're using the church Bibles, it's on page 1081. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Peter replied, not just my feet, my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. Um, I wanted to start this talk with a a great story of uh, some king or queen or noble person who'd done some sort of really menial task, um, and then so I could uh, have the shock value, um, something similar perhaps to what Jesus has done in the pages, a story that Dean has read to us in John 13, Uh, but it's surprisingly hard to find a lot of good illustrations. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's the last time I did it. I'm not doing my Theresa May impression. <clears throat> oh, they just want to throw a cough sweet at me. I'll just catch it. No, okay. Never mind. Sorry? Did someone say shush? <laughs> oh, sorry, okay. I must have misheard. I'm a bit deaf as well. Um, 
So, but actually, it's really hard to find uh, stories uh, of people doing great humble acts uh, in that way that I've just described. And, uh, and I thought, that's really frustrating, isn't it? And of course, uh, if you're watching this week's videos uh, that are about to come about leadership, um, there will be a story about John Stott. And there's an article that I received this morning from Anne that I might pass around a bit later on. Uh, and he was a very humble man. He was chaplain to the Queen. He was uh, a great man within a sort of church history and a, a led a church over in London. But he was a very humble man as well uh, and was found doing very humble tasks um, as Christian service, not just on the public platform, but the private one. But then it occurred to me that perhaps the reason I can't find too many examples is the very nature of humility is it doesn't get publicized. And, uh, and so if people want to be great and known for their humility, um, you're barking up the wrong tree. Because if you want to be known for being humble, then you don't want to be known for being humble, do you? You want to be known for being uh, good and all that. You want status, not humility. Um, but we do have those stories, don't we? We do see people that cross over the cultural boundaries that we see, the supposed class boundary um, that is a self-imposed thing from humanity. We see people who are considered great doing, doing things that are considered menial or unimportant, doing tasks that someone lower should do rather than them. And I don't know about you, but when I find people doing things that are truly humble, I find them more powerful, more radical, more likely to leave an impression in my life than those who have made lots of money or had great commercial success. Bill Gates created a computer in his garage in the 60s or something like that. And that's great, and we all have enjoyed that, a fruit of his work. However, I'm more taken by the example of someone like Mother Teresa, who lived her life in the slums in India than I am someone who made lots of money and had lots of commercial success. Stories of humility tend to empower us for many, many years after they were done. And today in John 13, which Dean kindly read for us a moment ago, is um, number six, I think it is, in our little course about loving your church. And it's all about serving, serving in the local church particularly. But we just want to think about this whole idea of being humble and serving God. And within that chapter, chapter John 13, we've got this real dynamic display of love from Jesus Christ to his people. He literally stoops from the highest position of son of God to that of a servant, demonstrating his love for his disciples in this gross act of wonderful humility as he washes the mud from their smelly, dirty feet. He shows his love by performing an act of humiliating service. We want to say humble service, don't we? But it was humiliating for him to dress like a servant and bend down, wash their feet, hold them in his hand and wash the mud off with a cloth. It was humiliating for someone of Jesus' stature to have done that. And it caused waves 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years later, it still causes waves. If I was to say to you, next week we're going to have a foot washing service and we're all going to wash each other's feet just like Jesus did. How many of you would be busy next Sunday? I suggest most of you, me included. Anyway, but there's a great quote by a man named Oswald, Oswald Chambers. And he said this, Jesus Christ out-socialists, let me read that again. <clears throat> Jesus Christ out-socialists the socialists. He says that in his kingdom, he that is greatest shall be the servant of all. The real test of a saint is not the preaching of the gospel, that is our bread and butter, but the washing of disciples' feet. That is doing the things that do not count in the actual estimates of men, but count everything in the estimate of God. The real test of the Christian 
It's the things we do that only God is watching for and the world considers rubbish. I wonder how great we are in God's eyes in that definition. So coming to John 13, you can imagine the scene. They've just had that final meal and then he stands up. He removes his outer garments, dresses like a slave and one by one with a bowl of water washes their disgusting, dirty, smelly first century feet. I don't know why I'm picking on the first century. Anyone that walks around with sandals in dusty roads have dirty, smelly feet no matter what century you live in. But this story attacks our sensibilities. It's gross. This is not the sort of thing you do in polite, civilized society, surely. You don't go touching people's feet, really, at all. But yet here Jesus is bending down on hands and knees, washing the feet of his disciples. The muck of the first century in the perfect hands of the Messiah. The real impression from this story isn't the act itself, because gross is gross wherever you live. But it's who Jesus is that makes it so impressionable, and who was there and who would normally be doing this act. So let's think of who Jesus is. You can imagine the shock of those disciples as he got closer and closer to them. It's my turn next. Oh, my God, what's going to happen next? You can imagine the shock. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one that heals the sick and raises the dead and takes on the Pharisees. He's the one that we think is going to be ruler of everything within our lifetime in the way we think he should. And here he is touching my most grossest part of my body. This is crazy. But the disciples knew exactly who he was, his person and his power. Verse 1, Jesus himself refers to God as his father. He knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father in heaven. They knew that he was the Son of God. Verse 6, he speaks, it says, Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's called Lord. He's called, he refers to himself as teacher in verse 14. They knew who he was. These are spiritually significant titles. The Son of God, the Lord, and the teacher, the rabbi, the great rabbi of God, touching my feet. And some servant, some slave should be doing that. But more than that, this Jesus was no ordinary man. He was all-powerful. He was omniscient to mean he knew everything. Look at the word know or knew that's repeated over and over and over in verse 13. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 11, verses 18 and 19. He knew. He knew it was in Judas's heart. He knew his time had come. He knew, he knew, he knew. And you compare to how little the disciples knew. He says, later you'd understand. Now that you don't know, but I know. He knew everything about every single one of them. He knew what was in Judas's heart, but already the devil had entered him and was master of his life. Jesus knew it. He was omniscient, and he was the person of God's only son. We often say to people who culture considers great when they do something considered lower class, you should not be doing that. You mustn't do that. Save that for someone else. And Jesus slices through all that rubbish because in God's economy, greatness is found in service. And the great in God's kingdom are commanded to bow furthest and quickest to serve and to seek anonymity. Do you ever have visions of grandeur wanting to be great for the kingdom of God? Are you seeking the right things for the right heart? Do we seek anonymity? When we serve in a ministry of this church, and it's a a great success perhaps, lots of people say, that's really good, you've started this new thing, well done. 
Do we secretly enjoy the adulation? Or do we say, no, no, God is good all the time. Roger, there's a great phrase that they say in Romania, which you told me years ago, that whenever someone gives anyone the glory, they, I won't say in Romanian, but they point up and say the glory goes to God. And I think how wonderful is that? We're to seek anonymity. When we leave this generation, this church, that one of our names should be remembered, except in the impression we've left on each other, only Christ's name should be glorified. Never ours. We should be forgettable to the world, but leave a lasting impression in the kingdom. We're to bow and serve. Our sleeves must always be rolled up day and night, 24-7. What Jesus does is live out the values of the kingdom of God in the most powerful way. But I wonder if we seek the same things. Do we seek service or status, humility or high praise, poverty or power? Jesus shows us the Jesus way, and it is a huge challenge. But this is what leaves the mark of this story, who it is that does it. But then the nature of the task itself, it is gross. I hate touching people's feet. Sometimes Andrew might say, rub my foot. I hope you're not watching. Um, I don't like that sort of thing. Not perfectly fine. But I don't like that kind of thing. Why would you want to touch another person's foot? It's gross. Um, And it's such a gross job that a non-Jewish slave would have to do it. They saved it for someone who was least like them. And I love actually how in one beautiful act, Jesus the Christ identifies not just with the outcast, not just with the poor, not just with the slave, but also the foreigner. In one act, he swallows up all possible definitions of outcast. He stands with them and serves alongside them. As Christians, our job is to do just that, to stand next to and serve with those who are outcast in our society, to walk alongside them, even if other people think, oh, you're covered in their grossness of their reputation or whatever. We're to walk alongside them, putting to death everything in us, to elevate them and love them, to identify with the outcast, the poor, the slave, the foreign, the marginalized, the hurt, the broken, to stand with them, to elevate them, not us. But what makes this story truly remarkable is who is in that line of disciples having their feet washed. How incredible is it that Judas Iscariot is sitting there. In just a short time, he will have taken those coins and he will walk into the Garden of Gethsemane, kiss his best friend on the cheek, hand him over to be crucified, the most horrendous death anyone could suffer. And Jesus works his way around the chain of disciples, washing even his feet. What would it have been like in that moment for them to lock eyes Did Judas know? Judas already knew what he was going to do. The devil was in him. Jesus knew the devil was in him. And yet he still washed his feet. What a moment that must have been in that second when they locked eyes. One eye full of hate and the other eyes full of love and forgiveness and kindness. Not even the presence of Satan in that room stopped Christ's love. The devil loves to get in between Christians and get in the way of our love for each other. The presence of Satan must never stop us showing love for one another. So it's an important lesson, obviously, because it's in the Bible. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's important because this is preparation. Jesus is preparing his new community, this fledgling new people, this church, for what's going to happen next. He's about to die, be raised to life, and then ascend back to heaven. He's preparing them for what it's like to be his people going forward. 
He cleanses them for the future. He cleanses them literally, but he's about to cleanse them figuratively as Judas is then removed from the group. He's proving his love for them. This is the ultimate act of love as he washes their feet. And I wonder this morning how many of you have been loved properly? How many of you watching at home know true love? How many people search for it in all the wrong places? The love of Christ is a love you have never, ever been loved, loved with before. It's a love that you're searching for, the love you're desperate for. It's a pure love. It isn't full of lust or uh, dominance and things like that or control. It's a, a love that wants to bring you up and heal you and restore you. A love that wants to save you from the snare of death and give you everlasting life and forgiveness. It starts at the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. Christ wants to wash every single atom and molecule, no matter what direction they're going in, if you came yesterday. He wants to wash every part of you, make everything brand new, so that you are given a new name in heaven. You're washed clean on the inside out. He started on earth. He will finish it on his return. His work will be completed. But do you know his love? Have you given yourself over to his love? Or you still look for it in human beings? Stop looking around the world and look at the person of Jesus Christ. It was an example that we're all to follow. Jesus laid out powerfully that this is what Christian service is to look like. This is what glory looks like. It's dirty and it's filthy and it's smelly and it's anonymous. Humility and servanthood are the diamonds in the crown of the Christian. And they're the only ones that shine in the kingdom of God. And it also illustrates the cross. As he washes the the dirt off their feet, in just a short time, he will wash the sin from their heart by his blood and his body. How do we respond to a story like this? Do we simply look at it and say, that's just great. Isn't Jesus great? Standing in admiration a long way back from our position of clean sense of pride and self. Or do we allow this story to rewrite our own whole identity Do we allow Jesus' humility to chip away at the lives we've worked so hard to create that are so shiny and clean? Will we become a servant for the king and all people? He commands us to do like he did and understand that true blessing is not found in elevation but humiliation. The greats in God's kingdom will be those who are covered in the most mess. And I wonder, will we be found with our sleeves rolled up when Christ returns? Or will there be not a spot of dirt from anyone else on us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to lift up all that we've said this morning. And Lord, I confess that me as well, stories like this just don't impact us the way they should But Lord, maybe in our mind's eye, we need to put ourselves at the end of that row. Maybe next to Judas, perhaps, is where we feel we're best placed. And Lord, you came round and you washed our feet. But Lord, in washing our feet, you were really washing our hearts. Well, Jesus, every time we shut our eyes and pray, you're there washing away the the dirt and the grime that we hide from each other. And Lord, I'm going to thank you for that, actually. Because I know in my life, Lord, there are so many things that are wrong. So many things are far from what you call me to be. And Lord, I know so many in this room will echo that thought. But I thank you, Lord, that when our eyes are shut, our heads are bowed. It's as if you're there with that bowl of water, 
washing us on the inside. We thank you, Lord, we were washed once and for all when we asked you into our life. But Lord, you clean us every day. Your mercy is new every morning. Lord, no one loves us like you do. No one ever could and no one ever would. And Lord, we lift up that to you now and we pray, Lord, that as we think of this story in the second half, may we not think of what you did to others but what you call us to do to others. May we be like you this week in the people we meet, Lord, who are covered in the grime of sin and brokenness. May we honor you, Lord, by honoring others. May we seek humiliation and anonymity, not power and glory and fame and fortune. Well, those things are passing away, and the sooner the better. Lord, make us great, but not in our own eyes, but with your approval because of what we've done. And I commit all this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.